This is Comet Picks by the Glick. Hey, and I'm your host, Jason Glick. Good evening, Jason Glick. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing just fine, John. It's good to be here. Great, great, great. Well, what do you have on tap for us tonight? All right, tonight, well, we are now in the um, calendar year 2014, so I guess it's time to go ahead and wrap things up for, for last year. So I'm offering up my best of 2013 list. Top, oh. Yeah, the top 10 titles and like a couple little errata as well. Excellent. Goody, goody, goody. All right, let's go, man. Okay. All right. So I'm. So even though I said this is top, this is a top ten list. Um, technically, um, this is like I'm breaking breaking rank here because my 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 top ten pick is actually two books. Yes, that's right. It's like it's so it's technically this is technically a top eleven list, but but I but the reason these two books are included here at the very end is because it's because on one hand because one um is a is a book that has a really interesting main story and then a really dumb ending or at least a coda at, at the very least the other one has kind of like a uh, it's like kind of is fun fluff for the most of it but it also has a really good ending that um really that elevated the, the work and it's like it's the elevated the overall work in my opinion now if you've been reading the blog you may, some of this may sound familiar because I'm talking about two works by um by mangaka um um, Kyoko Okazaki, um, Helter Skelter and Pink. Helter Skelter is a story of a of an say of a mo- of a model um, who is at at the top of her game, the tide of fashion, but she's also um, but she also has severe, she's also got lots of mental mental and insecurity issues, and she's also dealing with the side effects of the um, pr- procedure she underwent in order to um, get the um, fantastic body and look that she has as well. It's a great um, creepy book that um, even though it's like it's 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 drawn in a Jose, Jose or older women's um, st- style, it's like it's like it doesn't. It's like it goes in like lots goes into lots of terror that you will not see in um, it's like in these these kinds of stories. I mean, it's more there's like some real creepy body horror stuff as the book goes on that really makes it stand it out. It will just, you know, just work its fingers in into your mind. It's like get. So I can have it stay there for for a good long while. Pink, on the other hand, is kind of more, more the kind of thing you you'd expect when you're talking talking about you know women, um, literature geared towards or manga geared towards older women. That's a, it's about an about a office it's about an um, work, office girl who supplements her income by by being a call girl on the on the side in order to help feed her like her beloved crocodile as well. She is she is just trying to um like find pursue happiness for the sake of happiness in her in her life and uh, as a result the book is it's a it's cute agreeable fluff up until you get to the end where which is um on one hand it's it's beset by the kind of the um by some really obvious tragedy that's been done before but at the same time that like the way the book ends it's like it ends in a way that um while you can figure out what's going to happen next that final image basically um, suspends the character's happiness for, for eternity. Because whatever, because, you know, whatever happens, yeah, we can figure out what happens next, but as far as the narrative concern, is concerned, that's, um, like, the book ends with her suspended in happiness. And I like that. That was, that was really good. Now, both of these titles from Vertical, and you'll be hearing, hearing me talk more about them as, it's like as the podcast goes on. In fact, I'm going to talk about, start that again right now with my number nine pick, Knights of Sidonia. Now, those of you who have been reading my reviews of this series on the blog, um, probably, 
might be a little surprised by this because I haven't been you know, terribly effusive in my praise um, like for the series. Story, story about a um, about a about a about a but um, a kid who's like who um, who's been hi- who winds up being um, the ace pilot for this like like for this this ace mecha pilot and um and it's from the creator of um, Biomega Blame Biomega and Blame. And um, it's um, Tsutomu Nihei. And he's, and Nihei's got a really unique style that he is wrapping around some very conventional material here. I mean, it's, he, he, he's best known for like, creating really esoteric, um, esoteric landscapes at, in Blame and doing some really, really, really creepy um, and interesting um, H.R. Geiger-esque stuff, um, stuff in Bi- Biomega. I still think Biomega is the perfect extension of his style. But um, Knights of Sidonia really captured my imagination. Just seeing him, like, like re- a tackle a lot of the different tropes of the whole, like, you know, um, like, un- like, um, regular kid winds up being an ace, ace mecha pilot type, type genre. It's like the ex, the, the story matter may may be familiar, but the execution is certainly not. And I've just been, and it has really been engrossing me to like to think about to um watch him. You know, weave his style throughout the um the first six volumes of the se- of the series released released in this calendar year. It's like it's it has kind of settled into a groove with this most recent volume, but um I'm still but there's still lots of um interesting things, especially with the with the slapstick, which is far more violent um, than you'd, ex- you'd expect for these kinds of things. That that continues to help it stand out, in my opinion. Looking forward to seeing where where it goes, and also there's. And also, maybe I'll catch the anime when it premieres on Netflix later this year. Okay, moving on to more, uh, I guess you could say, conventional stuff, is um, Batman Incorporated. Now, talked talk about this last time, and I really, it's like, and um, even though it's like, I, th- I think the um, first volume we got this year, Demon Star, was a stronger, was a stronger one, one than the con- con- concluding um Including one from Grant Morrison's run, um, Gotham's Most Wanted, they still represent a, an, like a, it's like a really, it's like, really enjoyable end to what has been like one of the defining Batman runs of la, it's like the last several, several years. There's lots of, it's like lots of incredible action, all, a lot of it all rendered on the page beautifully by, by artist Chris Burnham. Let's see, and more, it's like Ed Morrison finds a way to, also finds some. Does does find some new new ground in the way to you know get Batman to keep keep going in the status quo while also it's like it's like while while also just like going bringing his bringing his run to a to a fitting close. Overall, it's like after like like the last seven years of reading Morrison's run, it's like I was ultimately not disappointed. That that really that earns its itself a spot on my on my list right there. Also. Also on next on the list um, for number seven is another is another ending to a to a run that that actually winds up in a crossover. This was um, Thor and Journey into Mystery. Everything burns. Now, this is a crossover between um, Matt Fraction's Thor and Kieran Gillen's um, Journey into Mystery. You notice if you've read again if you've been reading the blog, you know that I really could not I really haven't didn't care much for Matt Fraction's work on on Thor. But um, Gillen's work on Journey into Mystery has been, it's like, has been phenomenal. It's like the man, it's like the man took took the character of Kid Loki and made him his, 
made him his own and result in some of the most 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 witty and imaginative um it's like like Marvel comics it's like it's like in recent in recent memory. Um uh, everything burns though is the um is the culmination of of both runs technically and while you didn't well basically well from my perspective you did not need to read um fractions um Thor to, to fully enjoy it um Jillian's work on Journey to Mystery was was crucial to understanding just exactly what was going on here and it and it worked and, and it worked beautifully because even though it's like yes this is like a lot of familiar stuff and since it oh hey guess what Loki's fucking with everyone and um the and the Norse god of the underworld Surtur is coming down to burn burn the world tree and set everything like and and fry all the nine realms to ash so so what's he gonna so what's he gonna do well Turns out that you know Loki, it's like Loki has 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 things has plans out the ass for this, and they they include betrayals upon betrayals upon betrayals, and and everything that Dylan has been working on for the like 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 throughout the, throughout his run, um like really pays off here. It's great. It's it's the kind of um plotting you like to see. I like to see in all of my um like like a Marvel or superhero comics, and. It's like, and it, and I wish everything could be as as good as you could see, as it is here. It's also worth noting that the um, that that it's that the um final um issue of of Jill's is also one of the most bitter, bitter superhero comics. It's like I've read in recent memory because it's basically just stayed like a screed against you know the perpetuity of of these. It's like of characters um, being being corporate owned and having to continue on forever and not actually having an end to their story. Still, it's like it so it works in the context and he even has his cake and eats it too by by having kid Loki well kinda not sorta but really show up as himself again in in Young Avengers. Of course you've read Young Avengers then I still wonder what people would think if they haven't read what what went on in journey in um in this title right here because there's one plot point in that like, that will make no sense if you don't know what's what went on with this crossover. Anyway, moving on, number six is one of the, see is one of the new title. Actually, it's probably the only debut title we've got right here for this year. No, wait, no, technically second because I don't think that the other one. Not sure when we'll be seeing a second volume of the other one that ranked higher on this list. But this next one is one. I had only had one volume released this year, as well as its inaugural issues, and it's got a second volume coming out um, very very soon, which I'm going to buy as soon as it gets out. And that is Jonathan Hickman and Nick Dragota's East of West. It's a it's a insane genre mashup. It's like a west of Western science fiction and religion that um, imagines a see that imagines a United States where the uh, Civil War um, had a much much different and much more fractious ending but one that also involves the it's like the four horsemen of the po- of the apocalypse and how one of them death betrayed the uh, betrayed his comrades all for the sake of love now like it's like it's it's a, the dialogues like I said, like I said in my review the dialogues a lot stronger than you expect for, expect for Hickman and the it's like even some of the, like the uh, you can't get a bit expository at times he still cre- he along with um Dragota create this really Really compelling and fascinating world that I'm looking forward to seeing how like how how it progresses as as things go on. So it's so it's off to a great start. And and 
like like Hipkins' other image title, Manhattan Projects, it's like it's it's completely different from the other one, and that that just makes me appreciate it even more. Just seeing how it's like just, like just how far he can get, he can stretch his imagination like this. It's, it's like I really it's like I really enjoyed it. And I was a familiar refrain for all for all these books, but but it's also a nice real sign of like you know, this more than anything else. Well, between this and something else, I'll talk, get to in a second. That um, basically that shows you like how like why images like the place to go to for creator owned work these days. That being said, you know it's like there are some some creators like 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 Jillian and it's like and Kid Loki. Um, there are some some creators um at working at the big two basically own certain characters or at least certain versions of certain characters. While Garth Ennis will all always own the Punisher to the extent where Marvel keep keep having him come back to. Um, Write more stuff with the character. Apparently, that's why that's why here is in store for sometime next year. And this also has his of his other um, signature takes on a character. His version of it's like of Nick Fury, and we got we saw his his final word on that character with um, the second volume of Fury, My War Gone By, which which contribute which basically wraps up Ennis's um, Romana Clef about the it's about American about America's um, involvement. It's like in, it's like in war, it's like in wars, and how it's secretly, how it's been secretly manipulating things over over the years, and just how, just how corporate interests have combined with military, with military, military have coincided with military interests to create the military-industrial complex, but also about the um, peop, also about people like um, Fury who continue, who, like who want to fight more for war's sake, in order to it's like in order to help perpetuate these things. While the two, well, the two story, two storylines here did contain a, a fair amount of fan service in the sense we got to meet um, one one lieutenant um, Frank Castle um, in in Vietnam, and also um, the the ever infamous um, Barracuda um, in it's like in Central America during the eighties. It's like it's it's like it's that final issue where um, where Fury realizes just you know how how completely and royally he. He's fucked things up for himself over the years. That really, it's like that really sticks with you and really, really hammers home what, like, what Ennis, was, Ennis has been saying over, like, thing with the saying with the character. I personally would have liked to have seen um more from the series, to um to basically have him like have have fear get involved in some of the um more current conflicts and see see Ennis's thoughts on that. But um what we get here is still incredibly strong stuff. And proof that you know, like, out of all the, that um, out of all the writers that I've, that I've gotten gotten cut, that I grew to love in the um, some my formative years during the '90s, that and it's probably, it's probably the, the most, still most most consistently um, good out of all of them. Anyway, from that, from like the really really serious business of war and its consequences, we go to what has got to be the most gloriously stupid thing I have read in years. This is called. God Hates Astronauts by Ryan Brown. I only wrote about this briefly because there, it's not really something that can be properly articulated and put into words. I mean, it's just a one gigantic string of references to to 80s, it's like to, to 80s and 80s and 90s films, um, how Brown just creates a guy who's like a, a hero who, um, hero named Starrier, who, um, who is beaten? Who has? Who is beaten up by? By the great, 
see by the great John L. Last of the great, last of the bare knuckled brawlers, and he's he, like Starrier is invincible. His body is not. So his, so his, so John, so oh John L. Sullivan beats the crap out of the guy's face, and um, turns out hey, you know, even though he's a, he's immortal, he can't he doesn't actually have any healing powers. So he's just left with this giant mass of a face, and then there's references to rope. Robocop, to Family Matters, and and creator Ryan Brown's undying love of Reginald Vell Johnson, it's it almost defies words to try and try and talk about this. And like to even talk about to keep trying try and explain and cite stuff, um, just makes me feel like I'm destroying the um the, the simple pure idiotic beauty that it has. So, so out of all the things I read from Image. Yes, this is one. This is my favorite thing that I read this year, and it saddens me to know that you know that even though um Brown is still, still Brown still um he's he he's um he's working on on like uh, some of the odd fill-in issues for um Hickman's Manhattan projects. I'd still lo- um love to see him like eventually come back to um come back to this and just put out um put out another volume because like well or maybe or maybe it's like this. This volume is just like a beautiful unicorn, like perfect in its uniqueness, and something that shouldn't be um, disturbed disturbed within it at any point. Anyway, it's like well, anyway, it's like I I like to read more of this. That's all. That's all I like to say of it. About it. One thing I w- one title I won't have to worry about that is 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 um Mike Mignola's um BPRD series. More specifically, what I'm giving. The, the spot on my list is BPRD Vampire, because as I said in my in my review, um, with um, Vampire, Mike Mignola proves himself to be a really clever bastard. Well, my main con- con- my main complaint about about BPRD is that there are times when some of the stories can read can read like they're like they're just being set up for for subsequent for subsequent tales, as if. Um, Say like as if, and the, and they don't really work in their own, it's like in their own in their own right. Um, volume four of BPRD, the Pickens County Horror, is a great example of this. As were the first some of the BPRD flashback volumes, specifically um, nineteen, let's see, nineteen forty seven, and um, let's see, and nineteen forty eight. Which um, after nineteen forty eight, I was basically really. I'm willing to write all this off as, you know, hey, you no, know, this is stuff. These flashback stories—they're not going anywhere, and um, like, I'm really not really not impressed by them. Then we get to Vampire, which is technically the next flashback story, but one that they didn't advertise as such. At least not. At least I didn't pick up on it. Um, Bignola is collaborating with the awesome Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon, twin brothers, who have their who have their who have a similar but subtly different style. Totally different styles, I mean, and this, see, and and this tells us, and um, Vampire tells us, t- basically um, shows you that they were really working on, so basically shows you the point of these flashback stories and how they're contributing to the um to the fall of one, it's like of one Anderson from the, like, um, like from these pre- previous stories, how he basically wanted he was just a regular guy who survived being stranded at sea, but then wound up falling into supernatural, into supernatural horror with his, like with the vampire, the vampire side of things of the, of the BPRD universe. It's like, and um, it turns out that you know there is not going to be a happy ending for this guy because he, because even though he's not a vampire and he's 
he's now he's now slowly evolving into something else, and he's and he's got his own quest that may put him at odds with the B, with the BPRD. It represents Trevor Brutenholm's um, biggest failure. While Hellboy may represent his one his his crowning success, Anderson basically shows you that oh, oh, that unfortunately there are times that that this is one time where he where he dropped the ball. I, what I really liked about BPRD Vampire, at least Volume One of it, is that they're going, is that it shows you that yes, there was a point, and was a point to all this, and it gets me excited about what's going to happen next for this character. Because, like I said, I was willing to write off all these flashback stories, but then we get to this, and I'm like, what's going to happen next? Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to seeing what, it's like what, like what we get, what we get next time, and I certainly hope we get it soon. Anyway. Well, now we like now we're getting to, winding down to the very end here, and my my and like these last two are basically like long running series that finally saw an, their ends in in triumphant fashion, and um, number two was um was a, was a series that you know was a sports series that you know I was that got off to a really rocky start with me, but in the end proved to be th- um as thrilling it's like as thrilling as any kind of superhero. F- Superhero fighter science fiction action that I that, I, that I've read this year. That would be um, Takiko Inoue's Slam Dunk. God knows that I God knows I bitched about um, how it's like how long some of these volumes, some of the mat, basketball matches in this in this series took. The last last match took seven volumes. I mean, think about it like like an hour and change worth of game time took seven took over like took over like a thousand pages to do. I mean, this is like that's almost longer than, than I'd say that than than um, Transmetropolitan ran. I mean, that's that's just insane. But at the same time, Inoue's approach really allowed you to dive dive into the nitty gritty um, aspects of like of, of how of the character psychology between like between moves and to really channel the momentum that shifts between between each match. Because like, that's really what the series is all about—the momentum. Just get just finding ways to. For the characters to, to um, like who's like it's because it's really cause it's really about the even though like the games are ultimately about the score, it's ultimately all the tension in this in the series comes from who's got the mo- momentum. That's 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 what I loved about it, and also the characters themselves pull um like like from from the hot hothead Sakuragi who really it's like it's like who um started off as kind of like an unlikable dick, but really it's like but. Um, really grew into like the um, like an ace, like the, the um, rookie phenom that that we all knew he was going to be, to um, the blackest Japanese man ever, um, T- Takenori Akagi, who is the it's like who is the um, one of the greatest greatest centers in in high school, in high in high school basketball, but also has his own his own personal flaws as well. It's like all the characters are are really compelling, and you really root for them. Um, anyway, he also does a good job of also making the, um, the bad guys sympathetic as well. It's fantastic stuff, and even though this is one of the best-selling and landmark Shonen Jump titles of all time, it ran 31 volumes, and um, it's like, and it only covered um, one year in, it's like, in the story of, like, in the story of these these characters, one season in the story of these characters' lives. I would have loved to have seen him go on for three times as long, so we could get for so we could get the um the whole story of their high, their high school career. Also. What's worth noting is that the, even though like I was worried about the uh, the ending was going to be kind of like a, uh, a like a twist on Rocky in the sense that 
the uh, the guy our, our protagonist lose but still go the distance. Um, anyway, finds a nice way to subvert that. That see that see that um that that um that that storyline with with a nice with um and um basically um like um seals off their season with a with a single line of dialogue that makes perfect sense given the context of their final match. It's great stuff, and I love. It's like it's one more reason why I regard um in a way as one of like the best manga cog working working today. Now. Also along those lines is a series that I that I've been talking I've been talking about for for a while now, and that if you if remember back in oh what was it two thousand eight or two thousand nine yeah this series actually this series also topped the uh, the list and also I believe that sometime last year I believe I said something about this series that I was fully expecting this series to um like to top to um to pick this series as the best. Best of 2013 as well. Oh, guess what, kids? No surprises there, because the best thing I read last year was the final volume of um, Naoki Urasawa's 21st Century Boys. Basically, it's the final... It's basically like the 21st Century Boys, one, volumes 1 and 2, they say, basically the last concluding volumes for his 20th Century Boys saga. And even though I was concerned that um, things weren't going to... Um, things ultimately weren't going to um, work out at the very... Say at at the end after I read the first volume after I read the, that final volume it, and I was left with um I was still left with some major lingering questions that going back rereading the entire series from front to back which is really a requirement when you get to this to any long running series um like I saw like how 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 thoroughly um well planned out this series what this series was and just. And just seeing like how all the pieces fit into place, and like and and the revelation of who the um who the friend actually was both times and all, it's like it, it's like it it was true it was truly truly incredible tr- truly incredible. Abs- I could not. It's like um after rereading things front front to back, like I I was convinced that yes this series was as good as its build up as good as its hype. As good as as my expectations for it were, and it's like you know if he never does anything else, you know between this and Monster, Urasawa's um, reputation is rock. It's like is rock fucking solid. He's a mon- modern master of modern master of manga, comics in general, and and one of the most absolute rock solid storytellers. It's like on either. It's like on either sides of the Atlantic. I'm still waiting for them to bring over his current series, um, Billy Bat. But, um, you know, hey, if I want, if if I need something to um, kill time until then, well, hey, I've still got, I can go read 21st, 20th Century Boys again. Because, like, God knows, I love to keep, it's like, it's it's a series that, that I thoroughly enjoyed. It's like, God, how many times have I said that this podcast? I don't know. But, no, it's like, it was, it, no, the series was fucking awesome. It's like, and if you're going to buy anything on here, go buy this. It's 24 volumes total, but but absolutely worth every goddamn penny. All right. So I still got a couple other things to, um, to go on about, but John, um, you still there or any thoughts? Oh, not, not entirely. It just seems like a very comprehensive list. <laughs> yeah, it's like this was this is a little harder to think about in year, than in years past. Because I'll admit, like, some of this, uh, there, there were, like, last year, 
year so there's some stuff that's kind of like jumped out at me as being this is like best of the year and then there's also some stuff that you know i was that um i was kind of stuff that was i was seeing that you know i thought maybe it would show up on here like like tenjo tenge or bakuman but as much as i as i much as i enjoyed them they just didn't have like the substance or the uh like or the uh, the ending was um i focus on more of the parts of the series that i hate than anything else but also other things like mouse long three of mouse guard um um, Faith Aaron Hicks and Prudence Shen's um, Nothing Possibly Go Wrong, um, The Flowers of Evil, um, which, which is a series that you know really came into its own this year. That maybe finally made me glad that I stuck with it despite its rocky beginnings. But part of me thinks that you know maybe the, like the best for that series is, is to come. You know, Mobile Suit Gundam: The Origin, which um, it's been like a really um, eye-opening look at the uh, it's like at it's like at the uh, at the mecha franchise that almost got everything rolling in Japan so many years ago. So there's been lots of like lots of interesting stuff. And um you know here so again, hopefully we'll have like um next year that next year will be like probably like lots more like you know stuff that jumps out at me and goes like this is like best of the year right here. Also, but one thing I will do want to give a special mention to is that um one title that um that would have made this list if it hadn't come out in two thousand nine was um, the photographer by um, Alan, by Emmanuel Guibert and um, Didier Lefebvre, based on the based on the latter's trip to Afghanistan with a Doctors Without Borders journey, um, in it's like in the mid eighties. Mind you, this is Afghanistan in the mid eighties when um, Russia was um, finding out that um, this country um, swallows armies. So, so it's a re- not only is it a really eye opening look into into the, um, like into Afghanistan, Afghanistan at at the time, and the methods of Doctors Without Borders. Um, it's also um, it's like it's also um, um, supplemented by by the, the by the hundreds of pictures that Lefevre took during that time. That he he only sold like a like a handful of them, but he was able to like repurpose a lot of these for the like for the graphic novel. But but it's but even like the first two two thirds of it are a great. A really um, eye-opening look into like um, cultures and procedures that we don't normally see every day. It's the third, last third, where Lefevre makes the decision to um, head back home on his own. That and it turns into a a harrowing tale of survival. That that even though that you know even like a it, like this must stuff some of this stuff might sound sound depressing. Like you know we're talking about Afghanistan and you know and helping the helping the sick and survival against all odds. No, it's not like yeah, it's it's not the happiest thing to read to be to be honest, but it's utterly compelling and um like I'm glad that I'm a buddy of mine um basically said, Yeah, hey, you can borrow this. Go I'm gonna let you borrow this, go ahead and read it. And I did, and I wound up getting my own copy from the um, first second booth at com at Comic Con. So yeah, photographer. Fantastic book, would have made it on here if it if it had been published four years ago. Also, but you know, hey, that's a lot of the good stuff here, but as far as the worst of this stuff goes, well, I'm not done talking about vertical yet because, as I said on the blog, for years vertical, I could just go buy just about any manga title from Vertical and be assured that even if it wasn't good, it was at least um, um, different enough. It could at least be qualified as a norm as a noble failure, something that you know was different outside the mainstream. They should be at least commended for trying to bring. Something, something like that over. I'm 
looking in the direction of, say, Velveteen Mandala right there. You know, it's utter trash. And um, there's also, like, um, Sato- like other works like Satoshi Kon's Tropic of the Sea, which, um, which you know, it's... I, it wasn't bad, but at the same time, I wish I had known that it was his earliest work instead of the what I was expecting to be, like, the last great work of a major author or major creator here. So if I'd not if I'd gone into the into the book knowing this beforehand, I would have enjoyed it more than I did. That being said, though, there there are there are two books, one in particular that really um like caused me to think that you know okay I have to start being more careful about what I buy from Vertical. I can't just buy stuff blindly from them anymore. One of these is um, Sickness Unto Death, which is a very thoroughly melodramatic um, two part two-part shonen romance series that act, that managed the uh, nice trick of of providing a, cl- a really clever plot twist that that justified all the um dubious ro- romantic behavior of its of the first volume but um then but then it, also that same twist basically opened up all sorts of problems for the for the second volume how this romance was, was pursued from there and it was just oh man it's like Go go read my go re, go back and read my review. It's like it's absolutely terrible, and um, but really, what the volume, the, the the series that basically killed Vertical, killed, that um, basically caused me to think that um, Vertical, like you know, I just need to, like, to watch things. Vertical is is um, from the New World because this 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 series is based on a light light novel that was turned into an like an anime series. It about these about these kids living in this. Far future version of Japan with all these crazy, with all with all these psychic powers, and um and they're half forced to like stay with stay within the boundaries lest they be um find some more unsavory parts of this world. Um, it you know it's like it's it it's basically it's drawn in a very um otaku pander, pandering style. You can see right the character the main character's outfit on the, on the cover of the first volume has a boob window on it and um the and the fan service is just pandering the, the story is full is real with plot holes there's gratuitous there's like a gratuitous lesb- lesbian sex in there that would have been awesome if i was if i'd read this when i was like within the book's recommended reading age of 16 but ultimately it's like it's it's just a mess it's a travesty i got a buddy of mine who um who thinks who um, loves the anime, but also um, upon reading the manga, like thought it was just fucking terrible as well. So it's like from the new world, absolute trash, and that, and I'm selling it to book off um, when I go out there later this month. It's it's gar it's garbage, and you know vertical. I expected better from you, but you know it's like you gave us um, Knights of Sidonia, Pink and Helter Skelter, and you've got some good stuff coming out this year like. Um, like um, Yoko Ano's Insufficient Direction and Fumi Yoshinaga's What Did You Eat Today? So, well, I'm still buying lots of stuff from you, but you know, I've got my eye on you, on you now. And, you know, that's it. That's, that is my thoughts on the best, best and worst of this year. All right. And with that, uh, I guess we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Yep. As I, as I come back with my thoughts on all 100 plus issues of Peter David's um run on current run on X Factor. Ah, very interesting. I know Peter David. So, we'll uh, see you next time on Comic Picks by the Gleg.
All right, later's.